So we're reading the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. <clears throat> what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth of love in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Thanks, Howard. Keep your Bibles turned on. Um, we're going to have a, a, or open if you're more... Um, paper-based, uh, and then we're going to unpack that uh, verse a few, in a few minutes, those verses. Okay, now I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example that's going to make some of you, you're going to be too young for this, but who is of the age who you remember the A-team? Come on, there's enough A-team. Okay, for those of us, those of us who were deprived, deprived childhoods, who didn't have the A-team, or basically you're too young. Now the A-team, they were four soldiers who were falsely accused of a crime they didn't commit. And they broke out of military prison, and they're on the run to clear their name. But on the run, they went around running away from the military, because they didn't want to get recaptured. Is they would come along bad, bad situations of oppression, where baddies were oppressing um, innocent people. They would then use their skills and their talents um, that usually involved them getting locked in a garage with cars and welding kits and things. Is that right? Yeah. And, and then they would break out and they would defeat the baddies and, and sort it all out. And then Hannibal, the, the guy with the white hair one in the picture there, he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. That describes every single episode. All 98 of them. That's right. And who, come on, that, that, that's classic TV, isn't it? I actually saw one, I saw on channel 1084, whatever it was, and it looks really old now. But when I was young, it was really new. Who remembers it as new? It was brilliant when they came in and, and it was, he had a cigar and he just said, I love it when a plan comes together. Now, I, I wonder, it's not the A-team I want to focus, actually, I'll focus on them in a second. But that feeling of loving it when a plan comes together. How many of you have ever experienced that? After building a car, machine gun, sort of submarine thing. Nope. Okay. How about how you ever felt that after completing a Sudoku? And there's, there's an, you just go, okay, if you're not numbers, a crossword, and you just feel, I'm good. 
I just love it when a plan comes together. Or maybe you're a bit more sophisticated, maybe on another project you're doing at work or something. And, and, um, but that feeling, you, you know that feeling, don't you? When all the parts come together and you stand back and you go, I love it when a plan comes together. We'll hold that feeling for a moment, okay? Because we're going to come back to that. In our mornings together, we're, we're unpacking the, the book of Ephesians. It was a letter written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it, Paul, the author of this, wrote lots of different letters to different churches to, to commend and to encourage it. Now, if you've missed the sermons already, I encourage you to go on our, our website and, and uh, download our podcast and listen to some of the, those first four sermons um, on this book. Now, some of you who are, are really up to speed are going, Jim, last week, great. He did the end of Ephesians 2. Mark, you started on Ephesians 4. I think you missed Ephesians 3. Any, anyone very keen and spotted that? Okay, so I'm actually deliberately skipping chapter 3. Okay, I'm going to confess I'm deliberately skipping it. And some of you are just going, that's terrible. You can't do that. Because there's a crack in verse near the end, I think verse 20, 21, which it talks about that God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Isn't that an awesome verse? And it's something that we pray and we, we lift our faith because God can do immeasurably more. But, but the reason I'm skipping it isn't because I'm, I'm lazy or we have, don't have enough weeks in, in this series to do all the sermons, although that is a factor. Uh, <laughs> the, the reason is, is because um, the book of Ephesians, as in many of the letters that Paul wrote, um, are, are, all, are often sp- actually all split into two halves. The first half is he tends to set out some doctrine or some theological truths, some God truths, um, to, to place those foundations then. And then the second half of the letter is he applies them. The, the so what? So what am I supposed to do with that in my relationships, in my workplace, in my family, and in, in, in life, basically? So he does a theological truth, and then he applies it to our everyday lives. And chapters 1 to 3 are the theological doctrinal truths that Paul sets out. And, and the reason I'm skipping chapter 3 is because chapter 3 is the conclusion of that opening overture. It's, it does the same thing. Let me quickly show you. If you have your Bible, you can check this or you can just believe me. Um, the, first, the first 14 verses of chapter 1, it's this truth that God is bigger, that you, he has elected you and chosen you and he's an almighty God. And it says, however big your problem is, God is bigger. The second half of the chapter talks about, and you need to know him better. Know Jesus better. Go deeper. However big you think God is, find him more personally and go deeper. The beginning of chapter two, God comes and he makes us a completely new thing. God isn't just tweaking us. He's moving us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. It's a radical, completely new thing that God is wanting to do in us as individuals, as a community and our world. And then as Jim looked at last week, is that God is also setting out a new blueprint. It's not just the chosen people, it's all people, Jews and Gentiles together, come together and God is building them on the single rock, which is Christ. So that's chapter one and two. Now chapter three, if you have a Bible, check this out. First six verses, Paul is saying, he's saying this mission is bringing the Gentiles into this, this new blueprint. The next six verses, and God has changed and called me, completely changed. I'm no longer just investing in the Jew because he was a Jew, a Pharisee. He said, I'm now actually committed to investing in Gentiles, my mission, my calling. The beginning, and then it moves on the next seven verses. He says, my prayer is that you might be internally reinforced, that you may have more of Jesus in you, that you you might know the depth and the breadth and the width of his love. And then it finishes off in verse 20, because God can do immeasurably more. God is bigger. So do you see that echo? Don't you love it when a plan comes together? 
Because I, I thought, oh, well, that's great. I can skip the chapter. And it actually, it does echo. And this is, this, is not, this is not an accident. This is really clear. He opens it up and then closes it down and says, there's the doctrine. Now we're going to dive into chapter 4, 5, and 6. Uh, and to unpack how do those truths of God impact our everyday lives. And Paul starts, I think it's very important, he starts on, on something which shouldn't be a surprise. And it's, a, it's together. What God is doing is something to us together. This unity thing, this, this one and other needing one another and linking towards as a big team, a big family. Now, this is a really interesting thing to, to, to spot. Actually, it's more than interesting. It's a really crucial thing to spot. Because we live in a culture, we live in an age, which the Bible calls, which Paul calls in, in chapter 2, is the spirit of the age, which is one away from God, which is highlighting and promoting individualism. It says, it's you're the one who matters the most. It's what you want, your desires. It's what, are your, what motivates you, what pleases you. That needs to be the driver. Where God's heart is, no, no, I do things in family. I do things in community. I do things with us together. And the weird thing is, although our culture actually recognizes that, it highlights individualism. And yet we all also know, whether you're a believer or not a believer, is that we all long for community. We all long to be part of a group that that we feel welcomed in and valued in and included in. We long for that. You know, even when you do your Sudoku, what you want to do is, I love it when a plan comes together and you want to tell somebody how clever you are, don't you? Now, don't do that, okay, because they just go, yeah, whatever. But, um, but when you achieve something individually, you want to tell someone. You want someone to share in that. And when you do things as a team, whether you're into sports or projects at work or school projects, is when you do something together, there's, there's like a, a greater sense of achievement together. We long to be part of something like that. And yet our culture says that salvation and meaning is found in individualism. And Paul wants us to shift this starting point to understand the new thing that God is creating, the new thing that God is doing is a unity. It's a church, ecclesia, the called out ones. It's together of those of us who follow Jesus. God wants to do something new with us together. And, and I, I want to, to unpack unity a little bit this morning based on, on both our texts of Ephesians 1 and on the A-team, okay? Because I, I we learn from both of those three things, three essential things we learn from both of those texts or documentaries, because it's based on real life, apparently. Um, or not. The first one is this, is prioritize it, is we need to prioritize unity. In our reading, Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, make every effort. Is unity doesn't just happen. Good teams don't just happen. Church families don't work together just because it happens. He says, make every effort, purposely invest, lean into, look to, enrich and value those relationships. In the 80s, besides cracking TV, Knight Rider, and I'm getting distracted. (laughs) Besides cracking TV, there was also a real-life achievement going on. It was, it was an attempt to bring together the UK and France. And they started a thing called the Channel Tunnel. Uh, and this is a massive construction thing. It's a 31-mile underwater, under the, uh, under the English Channel, and to connect the two. And it's, it's quite an ambitious task, wasn't it? Don't you think? But what really surprised me is, see, if it was me, I would have started digging from one side and gone under and then popped up and go, oh, we're here. Uh, and that's how I would have done it. Um, but they were more clever. What they, or risky, they actually started digging from both sides simultaneously 
and plan to meet under the channel 15 miles in, both sides. Now, is that ambitious? That, that, you know, crazy maths, absolutely. It, it, little maths and sat-navs and all that stuff. And, 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 and they did it. They actually met. They really, really met. Imagine if they missed. We know whose fault that would be, wouldn't it? Clearly the... <sighs> and the French would have said, clearly the... Engineers. <laughs> But the thing is, so if, imagine if you were in charge of one of those boring teams. No, sorry, I mean, dig, I mean boring teams is different. You, who's in charge of a boring team? I'm sorry. <laughs> imagine if you're in charge of one of those digging teams. Okay, you are now in charge of that. So the, the English side, you know, with our, with our Union Jacks and bowler hats and stuff, you are in charge of that side. How, how much effort would have you put into making sure you get it right? How much effort? Would you like check it every couple months? Yeah, seems the right direction. Couple weeks? Days, minutes, second, because the computer system, every time it's, it's cutting, it, it, it's always doing it. It's basically, make every effort. If they are to meet every effort all the time, do you know, unity doesn't just happen. If we think, well, it's, I'm going to do my bit and everyone else, they just have to work around me. You know, so the French, they're going to have to bend their tunnel to match me. But that's how often we do Unity is I'm just going to do my merry bit and then everyone else has to bend around and fit into me. And Paul is saying, look, we need to understand this new thing that God is creating requires us to be together, church, to be united. And we need to prioritize it to make every effort because God is creating one body with one faith, with one baptism, because there's one spirit, one Lord, one Father. It's a one thing. We have a single goal. Now, I know we look across our culture and we see lots of different churches and lots of different things. And you're going, is that one? And that's a valid question. But what Paul is saying, yeah, but do we have one Jesus? Yeah, we do. Do we have one spirit? Yeah, we do. Is we need to make every effort to go towards that one thing. And it doesn't just happen. We need to lean into it. And Paul starts off this chapter with, with telling us it's about investing in relationships. It's to prioritize relationship. You know, the fundamental thing of the A-team is that they worked and they liked each other. Well, I mean, the script says that they liked each other. But that's how it works. With any team that you're on, it's, it's the relationships that mesh it together. It's relationships that hold it together. Which is why Paul says is to be completely humble and gentle completely not be a little bit humble you know try your best you know tolerate that he doesn't say that to be completely humble and gentle now humble and gentle I'm not sure what comes to mind with humble gentle whether it's just this meek person with sandals with socks on and very gentle and and that's actually not the image it is the it's the image is the opposite of of, the opposite of humble and gentle is pride and rude Basically saying, in your relations, don't be proud and rude. Now, many of us go, I'm not proud and rude, but I wonder how many times do you enter a, a gathering, a room, thinking, do you know what? I don't need anybody. I know enough by myself. I'm pr- I, no, I've got, to be honest, I've got 95, if not 99%, if not 100% of the information I need. And, and, and you might have something that I may consider, but the truth is, probably not. Have you met people like that in the mirror recently? Because if I said, do you know people like that? You would all go, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but actually, he, what he's saying is, is be completely humble. And be gentle with this. 
Now, if you've been with our church for a while, you, you may know I'm going to give a suggestion. So a, a really handy tool for this. It's really, really handle, handy, and it applies in every situation, not just in church, but in work and lots of places. Um, some of you will know it. I'm going to test it, see if you know it. Some of you who don't know it, that's fine. I'll teach you, okay? If I say OFM, what, what does it stand for? See, it's a cult. They all know it. it it's, it's one fact more. See, this is, this is a big challenge on, to helping us to be humble, is that when we walk into a, a situation, what, to stop us thinking, well, I know enough, and I actually know enough of your situation, and I know enough, is to say, is there one fact more that may help me understand this better? Is there one fact more that may help me understand that person better? Have you ever been in, in work, and your boss has just been really, really grumpy? Anyone got a really grumpy boss? Staff, fingers down. Anyone got a really grumpy boss? And, 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 and you suddenly think, these gr- they're, just, they're just bad managers. They're just bad leaders. They're grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. One fact more. What happens if you found out one fact more and you found out that they're in their family, they just got a real serious medical diagnosis? Would that change the way you treat them? I would hope so. Because one fact more says, I don't know enough. I just see the grumpiness. I just see the unforgiveness. I just see this and that and the other. And, and what humility does is it realizes that maybe I don't know everything. And therefore, one fact more. What, what, what else is there? Uh, many of you know I'm, I'm registered blind. You came with a white stick. I can't see. So I can't see any of you. I know you occasionally laugh, which is lovely because I know you're still here. And, uh, but but what, has happened, uh, what happens over time is, is you may walk up to me and, and you will feel that I totally ignore you. And most of the time, that's because I'm blind. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Most of the time. No, I, no, I, I don't deliberately ignore anybody. Um, um, sorry, Kathy, I just lied. I'm forgiving. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> but one fact more, if you suddenly realize that Mark's not ignoring me, he just didn't see me, does that change how you view me in that area? Well, I hope it does. And other people, after the service, when you're doing coffee and you see someone sat alone, do you know, find out one fact more. Because often we, we view people and they're, they're in a gang. They must be really happy. They must know a lot of people. Therefore, I won't speak to them. One fact more says they might be going, I don't know any of these people. They're all weird. <laughs> Go and speak to them. See, one fact more, what that does is it, it builds unity. Make every effort. Don't leave it to someone else. Make every effort. And that's where humble and gentleness, gentleness. There's a great pastor in the States uh, who, who said this. He said, when you enter a room, are you a here I am sort of person or there you are type person? Because that's a real significant difference. Because you all know people who when they walk in the room, you know, their ego comes before them and, and here we are. And you just go, okay, I'm going to make space for you. There you go. See, that doesn't build unity. Where if someone comes in and goes, oh, it's so great to see you. Oh, I've, I've been wanting to chat to you. Oh, what do you think about this? See, this is what Paul is saying is unity. The way that God's new thing, this new community, this thing, community that's going to change us, change our community, change our world, which the church in, in Ephesus was seeing happen already, unity is really important. He says, make every effort to be humble and gentle and to, to be patient and to bear with one another, patient, I think patient here is to give someone a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. How many of you appreciate when people give you lots of chances? How many of us struggle to give other people lots of chances? See, here's the thing. Scripture says, make every effort. 
we need to make sure that we are applying that. And then bearing one another. Bearing one isn't just putting up with one another, because many of us do that. Yeah, they're in the room. I, I, I'll put up with them. Bearing is to take some of the load. Because this is how relationships are meshed together. As we're humble and we're gentle and we're patient and we forgive and we take the load. I mean, who would love to be part of a community like that? Where you bump in and they're going, there you are. Oh, tell me a bit more. And and saying, of course, I know you're messed up, but come on, let's try again. To say, oh, let me carry some of those burdens. We would all love to be part of of a community like that. But I want you to notice something really, really clear that's not written in this scripture. Paul does not say, go and find that community. Because some of us are on the mission of that. We want to find a community. I want a community like that. I want a small group like that. I want that. I want that. Paul says, no, no. You make every effort to do that. Have you ever found yourself going, do you know, I wish they were a bit more committed. I wish they were a bit more forgiving. I wish they would do this. I wish, I wish they would make every effort. And what verse 3 says is you make every effort. Often we put our attention on trying to make other people change. And we neglect the one person who we can have the biggest impact on. And that's ourselves. How about flipping that? Putting the, the effort more into ourselves and changing our attitudes. And see what that does to unity. Because that's what Christ does. Is he, he, and it's not by yourself. It's not just work harder. It's you're transformed. You have the Holy Spirit in you as a deposit, as a guarantee, as it says in, in the beginning of Ephesians 1. And what the Spirit does is he changes you. He, he develops the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those relational skills he will develop as we open up and say, God, what, can I be more like Christ? Because unity is that we might be Christ-like as a community. We may reflect the character of Jesus in our community. So, The first step of this, we learn from the A-team and we learn from Scripture, is actually we need to prioritize it because relationships hold together. Lean into those rhythms. Look out for one another. Listen to one another. We all need to do that and we will be enriched. But unity is not about uniformity because back to the A-team, our our main text for today, is it contained, one of our texts, it contained... Four people, okay? And each of the four people, if you know them, they all had particular gifts and skills. There was Murdoch who could fly anything. He could fly helicopters, planes, everything. He was just this amazing pilot. Um, you had Face. Face was the guy who could get anything. They give him this big list of, we need a nuclear reactor, we need this, we that. And he goes, yep, give me 10 minutes. And off he'd come and he'd bring he, whatever they wanted, he would get. You had B.A. Baracus, who Mr. T, you may know him, the guy who advertised Snickers. Is, he's the man. He was the guy who could build anything. And, and he would weld things and create things. And then you had John Hannibal Smith. And he was the one with the plan who was saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And who give the list out and the two. And together, when they use their different skills, that unity took on a different shape. See, when God calls us to be united, he's not calling us to be just a nice bunch of people. He is not calling us to be a nice bunch of people. It's a community who makes every effort, who lean into relationships and saying, we are united and I am committed to you to get this relationship moving under one body, one name, under one spirit. I'm committed to that. But it's also acknowledging that, that I have a specific part to play. Is unity is about, it's about playing your part. It says in this reading is that, that, that Jesus, he ascended and descended, there's, there's echoing from one of the Psalms, Psalm 68. But what he's really saying is, is God gives gifts. Jesus has given every single follower of Jesus a gift. 
There's five gifts mentioned here of, of, of apostle, of prophet, of evangelist, of pastor, and teacher. But throughout other bits in the New Testament, there's a lot of other gifts. There's the gift of leadership. There's the gift of hospitality. There's the gift of administration. There's the gift of mercy. There's the gift of serving, the gift of helps. There's the gift of intercession, the gift of giving. There's so many gifts. And the Bible says that every single follower has at least one gift from God. He's given you the gift. And for unity to happen is these gifts need to be applied. Because notice what it says in our reading is he gives us these gifts, what to build up the church in unity is to build up the church in unity is you have been given a gift to help build up the church in unity. Now, now here comes our culture again, because our culture keeps saying, yeah, it's individual, you are important, you are gifted, you are good. And you're going, yes, I know I am, I'm really good. Uh, and then you come to church with that mindset. Is, is many of us, probably we all do it, is we come to church and we're going, was the welcome good enough? Was the, do I like the graphics? Hmm. Was the sermon, you know, that sermon needs to be better. Was the worship okay? Is the lighting good? Is the volume? Are my kids? And what we do is we, we come not as how can I use my gift, but how can I consume? How does it meet my needs? See, unity is not about commentating and saying, uh, is the church doing all these things? Now, these things are important. Please hear me. Our welcome needs to be good. We, we need to make uh, the teaching better. Clearly, you can hear that. We, we need to do worship better. We need to do lots of things. But it's about, unity is about our attitude. It's about leaning into relationships, but it's also going, how do I use my gifts? Because the truth is, every single one of you is gifted. The question is, what are you building? Are you building your career? Are you building your family? Are, are you building your next holiday? Are you building a bigger house? Now, there's nothing wrong with those. There is nothing wrong with those. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his ways, and all the other things will come into place. What Paul is saying is God gives us gifts that we may build up the unity. And, and as we build up, is something beautiful happens. Is God's new thing, his new community that changes people's lives, where they find meaning and direction, where society gets changed because God is doing something amazing. Why? Because this is the last point that Paul gets in the last verses, verse 13 onwards, is when we prioritize it and when we play our part, is it releases the power of God. It's, it, this is what releases the power of God. Check out verse 13. There's a really cool verse that says, you know, it, use our gifts, build up the body, and then we attain the wholeness of the fullness of Christ. To me, that sounds quite complete, don't you? Wholeness and fullness. Is, it's full measure. It's packed and it's overflowing. Is If you want to see more of God in your life, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, in our society, unity is key. Unity is key. For when we are united, it releases the power of God. It releases the, the, the presence of God because we encounter the wholeness of the fullness of Christ. Now, the truth is, many of us have experienced this already. Tell me, if those of you who are part of a small group, maybe our church system or maybe another place, have you been part of a group that, that when you regularly meet together and you're, you're in phone contact or, or WhatsApp contact throughout the week and, and people are just saying, how are you doing? Let me pray for this interview. Let me do this. And then you meet together and, and people do, you know, people who can teach, teach. And those who do coffee, do coffee. And you, and, and you, you care and you share. And you're going, do you know what? There's, there's just something beautiful about this community. And it, I feel stronger and privileged to be part of that. Have you ever experienced anything like that? How about have you experienced the opposite? Because I've had people say this, is small groups don't really do it for me, Mark. 
You know, they, it, I, I go there and, and it doesn't really connect. It's, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I don't feel the presence of God. So I, I tend to ask a couple questions. So um, how often do you go? Well, regularly, two or three times a term. And when you go, what happens? Well, you know, I, I, I wish they did more prayer, but they do Bible study. Or I wish they did more Bible study, and they just had a social. And, and I wish they did this. And the reason why we're not encountering the presence of God is because we missed unity. We're not investing in those relationships. We're not using our gifts. For when we invest in relationships and use our gifts, something great happens. Now, please hear me right. I, I know there are times because of health and family and stuff that you can't make it all the time. But if your heart is, there you are. Oh, I missed you. How do you input in my life? How do I do that? It changes community because the presence of God comes because unity happens. And then Paul also says is, is when we have this unity, this unity of, of committed to relationship and this unity of using our gifts, besides the presence of God, the power in that, it also, we also encounter the peace and the security of God. So no longer will you be infants tossed about by the wind and waves, chasing every philosophy and, and anyone with a good or a bad or a, you know, the latest trend, is we won't be just blown around anymore. Why? It's because when we are together, when we, there is a security in Christ because we're built on Christ. This is not that we're just better together and that's lovely. Is we're better together because we are under Christ. Christ is the head, it says there. Remember, we grow into Christ the head and we are the body. And what we do is we're joining a purposes of God. We're not just joining my idea or, or Jim's idea or someone else's idea. What we're doing is we're joining, this is a Jesus idea that I'm part of, I'm joining. I have valued and I'm inputting. And we basically give our lives to something better. In our world that is forever changing, with demands and, and distractions and, and, and so many questions, we're not sure what's going to happen. You know, even this week with the whole political change, is, is the treasury now coming, is number 11 now coming under n- number 10? What does that mean? And, and, and with the attorney general, with, with Suella, our MP is now the attorney general, which I'm, I'm, I don't know how experienced she is, but well, she's not experienced compared to that. Is that a good move or is that about Boris trying to bring the, the government, sorry, the, the laws under the government? Is this a political shenanigans going on or is this a wise thing? And you're going, I don't, anyone know the answer to that? On a postcard, please. And um, send it to Boris. And... Um, But what can happen is that we can be overwhelmed with the changes, overwhelmed with the uncertainties, overwhelmed. You may go political way bigger. You may be thinking bigger. You look around our world and the coronavirus and you're going, what does that mean? What does that mean? Or maybe you're going, it's just me. I don't even know what I'm going to do today with that relationship. See, when we're together, when we're united, when we share lives, when we use gifts, is what happens is the peace of God settles us. For we have security in the rock and the fortress. But it's not just a stable thing that we hide away in our building. It's we become the body of Christ and we begin to join what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's in the business of saving people, Hosanna. He's in the job of changing situations, transforming families, transforming workplaces, transforming schools, transforming communities transforming cities. And how do we do that? Make every effort to guard unity in Christ. But then we'll see the power of God released. So I guess my ending question, I've got two questions. One is, do you want to see more of the power of God in your life and around it? That's great. That's good. I'm, I'm assuming that's a yes. 
Because then it comes to the next question is, okay, so where is God saying, you need to lean more into unity on that? With our relationship, maybe with the people next to you, maybe your small group, but what about St. John's Church, other Christians? Are we making every effort to be in good relationship? And what about your gifts? Are you using your gifts? See, for when that happens, it tells you, you'll receive the wholeness of the fullness of Christ. You'll not be tossed about anymore and blown around by the winds of change, but you'll be secure and mature in Christ and part of what he's doing. So there's the invitation. Let's pray. Father, your, your word isn't just a bunch of theology to fill our heads. Actually, you're very practical. I thank you that, that Paul, when you inspired Paul to write these words, it wasn't just a bunch of theory. It was something that's supposed to touch our lives and change our lives. God, I thank you that you don't just say, work it out, guys. You say, let me walk with you. Let me be with you. Let me step in with you. Jesus, that's what you did is you, you stepped into our world and you walked with us and you changed us and you taught us and you... You, you were patient, you were humble, and you were gentle, and you were patient, and you bear our burdens. And now you're calling us to do the same. So Father, I want to just pray now. Holy Spirit, would you just come and stir people's hearts? Where are those areas that we need to lean into? What relationships do we need to say, do you know what? I need to step from that, the kingdom of our world, which says it's all about me. And step into your kingdom, God, where I'm going. I'm, I'm going to make every effort. I want to prioritize. Is it? Is it you just need to be more loving? Is it that you need to change your focus from other people need to try harder to I do? Maybe you just need to step away from your foot in each camp. And you say, Jesus, I, I want to be with you and do what you say. I want to be part of the one church, the one body, the one faith. And maybe your relationships are really good. That's great. Fantastic. But Paul also says, well, what gift are you bringing? What are you building? This isn't a recruitment drive. This is a, let's build the body that we may encounter the wholeness of the fullness of Christ. God is not condemning. He's welcoming. Come, come, be part of this amazing new thing. Encounter life, freedom, peace, security.